we really are. This is a unique community because we have so many fantastic leaders, people, people who lead not, not out of position, but, but really just out of who they are. And um, I'm really excited because tonight um, I get to introduce you to one, another one of those leaders, a leader who, ha- who has actually been on our deacon team and you've probably interacted with uh, multiple ways, has taught here for us. We're in this Wisdom for Modern Living series, and one of the areas that, that I wanted to cover, but like you ever have something that you're asked to kind of, or, or you think about talking on, and you're just like, I'm going to feel like a hypocrite if I even open my mouth, which, I mean, I do in a lot of areas, maybe, but, but this is one area that I was like, I'm just incompetent to speak on. And, and, so, I, and so I called my very good friend, Dr. Matt Hickey. Uh, Dr. Matt Hickey is a professor over at CSU, and he's in the Department of Health and Exercise Science. Um, he, he, he's the director of the Human Performance Clinical Research Laboratory over there and he's just he's a great friend and he really holds a unique place um he's one of i is it is it 12 um matt has a has a very distinguished honor he was given a year and a half two years ago i can't remember when it was exactly but um the title of university distinguished teaching scholar there are only 12 of them in all of csu and and matt matt received that honor because he's just adored by his students he's respected by the faculty and he's just a great mind. So would you please welcome Dr. Matt Hickey. Thank you, Brent. You read that very well. I, I didn't have any typos in it when I handed it to you. That was good. I think I can do better than that. I'll, I'll work on it. So we're here to talk about wisdom and care of the body. And so with that in mind, I'm going to ask you to get a little exercise and just stand up with me for a moment, if you would. Now, I promise I'm not going to ask you to touch your toes or do any burpees or one-arm push-ups or anything like that. I actually want you to join me for just a moment. One of the pleasures I get in sneaking in here every now and then is I get to publicly say thank you to Brent. I trust you do that on a regular basis. If you don't, I want to encourage you to do so. He, he is a treasure and a blessing to this church. This series that he's wrapping up on wisdom is quintessential Brent Cunningham in many ways. I've often thought over the years that he's been a friend. I've, I've had the privilege of calling him friend. That He really models the greatest commandment so well. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. And as we do so neatly on Wednesday nights... To love your neighbor as yourself, even the new spin, right, of the tables and these opportunities to get to know one another. So, Brent, on behalf of these brothers and sisters, wherever you're hiding, there he is, I want to say thank you for your leadership and your service. We appreciate you. Now, with a nod towards my friend Phil, I'm also going to don a different pair of glasses so I can actually read and, and see what we're doing here. Oh, by the way. Before I forget, you can sit down now. (laughs) Get carried away, and then you really will get some exercise, right? Wisdom is a great gift, and it's one of many things that we get from the Lord. And it's interesting, in the book of James, we're invited, if you are seeking wisdom, ask. And that certainly applies to how we tend to our own health. It applies to nutrition. It applies to physical activity. It applies to theology. We're in a world where we can get a lot of information. One of the things we're going to try and wade through over the next three, three and a half hours. How long was it, Brent, you said I had tonight? 
to, to try to give you some, some general resources on sort of how do we exercise wisdom as we think about care of the body. But one of my favorite quotes comes from one of my favorite writers, St. Augustine. This is writing 16 centuries ago when he reflects on this gift of wisdom. He says, We have that which we can all enjoy equally and in common. What you take, what I take, what any person in this room takes from this fount of wisdom remains unharmed for someone else to take. It's not a zero-sum game. We all have access to the inexpressible riches in this fount of wisdom that is our Redeemer and our Lord. Now, when we think about care of the body, the first thing that comes to mind for me is what are we talking about? Who are we as persons and what are we enjoined to take care of? And, of course, the scriptural picture that we get is that we're with this wonderful mix of body and soul, right? So if we go back to the opening chapters of Genesis, in Genesis 2-7, we get this wonderful picture that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and this is the key part, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So the traditional Christian tradition is that we are ensouled bodies or enfleshed bodies. And they're inseparable. Now, there are some problems with the long-standing tension between that body-soul dualism that both philosophers and theologians have been talking about. And we'll talk about some examples of that tension that I think are inappropriate in just a few minutes. But the bottom line I want to share is that the care of this, this wonderful hybrid that we are, this body-soul mix, this person that we represent, really should be taken in the context of stewardship. I'll remind you of some New Testament verses Paul shares with the church at Corinth about our body being a gift, a gift, by the way, that was redeemed at great price. One other thing I would point out right now that's important, those of you that are regular studiers of the word, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in particular <clears throat> spends quite a bit of ink warning us against the temptations of the flesh in contrast to the, the pull or the call of the spiritual life. We see that most prominently in the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians in particular, but it, it, it's a common theme for Paul. I, I want to point out a couple of things. Body in the Greek is the word soma. Flesh is a different word and a different concept. Flesh, flesh in Greek is the word, word sarx, S-A-R-X. And when Paul talks about flesh, he's not literally talking about our physical body. He's talking about inclinations that look unto ourselves as the author and perfecter of our own faith as opposed to the Lord, who is the real author and perfecter of our faith. So don't read too much into flesh, spirit tensions that Paul rightly points out as temptations to sin and translate flesh into being sort of synonymous with this notion of the body. Sarks and soma are two different things, two different words, two different theological constructs. Now, the other thing we have to be careful about, of course, is avoiding extremes. And there, there certainly are, given the overabundance of information we get, given uh, popular trends, uh, we can certainly get on the bandwagon of extremes about physical activity or diet or even diet supplements 
that have little bearing on truth, little understanding or relation to nutritional biochemistry or to exercise physiology. We're off and running, and at some point we lift our heads up and say, I just spent a whole lot of money on something that really was, was perhaps not uh, well thought out. So these extremes we have to be careful about. Now, there are some interesting extremes. So I, I have the, the privilege of teaching on campus. I teach an undergraduate physiology of exercise class. I get to direct this lab, and there's, there are multiple colleagues who do really interesting research in that lab. And it's interesting, most of us that get into the study of human physiology do so because, just as is articulated in Psalm 139, we really have that rich sense of, of the human body being fearfully and wonderfully made. And often when we teach classes, we, we, we use examples of extremes to show you the, the far end of the spectrum on the wonders of that human machine. So let me toss out a few examples, and you can decide which one of these are nuts and which one of these are simple examples of, wow, the human body can do that. So if you follow the men's marathon, the Berlin Marathon was completed recently. Uh, it has garnered a well-earned reputation as being the fastest course in the world. So last time I checked, the top 10 or 15 times ever recorded by male runners are all at the Berlin Marathon. So just a couple of weeks ago, the world record was, was broken yet again in Berlin. And the current men's world record in the marathon is 2 hours, 2 minutes, and 58 seconds. And if that doesn't mean anything to you, let me try to translate that into a, a, a different sort of frame of reference. So how many people in here, and I would like to see a show of hands on this one, how many people in here can run a 441 mile? I'll wait. At, maybe not now. Maybe in the glory days. Anybody run a 441 mile? Okay, we've got a brave soul over here, right? Now, try running a 441 mile 26 consecutive times over a two-hour period without stopping. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about a 202.58 in the marathon. It's impressive. It's an example of the human machine at its finest. Now, my next two examples are a little more on, on the sort of nutty end of the spectrum. Okay. So in 1996, uh, the season on Mount Everest was featured in, in John Krakauer's well-known book, Into Thin Air. Uh, about a dozen people died on Everest that year, unfortunately, due to some, some storms, getting stranded at altitude, etc. cetera. Uh, there was an individual on Everest that year, a native of Sweden, uh, who early in the spring hopped on a mountain bike in Sweden and proceeded to pedal his way from Sweden to Nepal. By the way, if you haven't looked at a map recently, Sweden and Nepal are not neighboring countries. Okay. Got off his bike, worked his way up to Everest Base Camp and, and managed to, to dodge most of the worst of those storms. Summited Mount Everest without supplemental oxygen, solo. Got back on his bike and rode home. A little closer to home. Teton Range. Some of the guides over the years have, have developed an underground race course. So you, there's, you can't enroll in this race. You're not going to get a bib number, but it's called the Grand Traverse. All of the peaks, about 20,000 feet of climbing and descending. It's not paved like a nice track, right? And a couple of years ago, an Argentine uh, climber named Rolando Garibaldi uh, did this course, this 20,000 feet of climbing, running, by the way, uh, in just a little over six hours. 
So the human capacity to push itself to limits is part of the wonder uh, that is so uh, beautifully articulated in Psalm 139. We really are fearfully and wonderfully made. So, so the question for tonight becomes, given all that, given the, the extremes of human capacity, given the fact that everybody, red and yellow, black and white, to borrow a line from an old song, is fearfully and wonderfully made, how are we supposed to care for this body that we have on loan, this gift from the maker of heaven and earth? Well, one key point is to remember that care for the body is not independent of care for the soul. They go together, and I would argue our priorities, which I'll get to in a minute, and join us to attend to the soul first and the body second. Okay? Remind you of the line from Matthew 16, 26. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, if he has big biceps, if he can run a 441 mile 26 times in a row, only to lose his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So this combined care of body and soul is absolutely critical. I'd like to take a few minutes and and see if I can stimulate some discussion at the tables and ask you to share with your, your neighbors, what's your favorite health or nutrition or exercise myth? I'll share a few in just a few minutes. But talk a little bit about myths that you might have encountered about nutrition, about physical activity, uh, and we'll see what what sort of comes out of that discussion. So go ahead and and sort of start that, and I'll, I'll see if I can't get some interesting answers in just a few minutes.
Okay, friends, who's going to volunteer? Favorite health myths? Shout it out. No pain, no gain. That's a classic one, right? We've all been through that before. I have more pain than gain lately as I get older, unfortunately. So that's one that's been around for a long time. Okay, what else? Yeah, now that's not a myth. That's true. That's a... Okay, so some of these are myths, but some of those are dearly held truths. Very good. Okay, what else? Yes, yes, and it's interesting if you follow the history of dietary trends, how the needle shifts from one end of the spectrum to the other depending on the current mood, right? So that's a great one. What else? Okay, that's good news. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> Very good. A glass of wine is the equivalent of running a mile. Okay. So 26 glasses in two hours, two minutes, and 58 seconds. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so, so we can certainly have fun. And by the way, you know, if I sort of peel back the curtain on what goes on with academic life, the discussion we're having right now is, is certainly a, a water cooler one I have at work where, where we'll... It may be a student that, that asks legitimately, I want to know. I'm seeking wisdom in class. I heard about X. And we have to try to keep a straight face and not have the mirthful, you've got to be kidding me routine. right? So let, let me give you just a couple of examples. One comes, and this, this goes back to before I moved out here to Colorado, when I was on the faculty at the University of North Carolina. We get these calls all the time of somebody, got a, a, they've got a product they want to sort of hawk, and they'd like us to do research on it. And, and this one has always stuck in my mind. I, I, my astonishment hasn't diminished over the years. So this is a better mousetrap in terms of exercise performance, and the product was oxygenated water. Okay? Now think about it for just a minute or two. Okay? So I, I sat there in stunned silence for a little while, and I thought to myself a couple things. Being a science nerd that I am, I thought, you know, when I took chemistry seems to me that oxygen wasn't very water-soluble. So we, we sort of have a little chemistry problem to begin with, right? Then I thought, you know, fearfully and wonderfully made. So we've got these cool organs called the lungs. But last time I checked, they don't do real well when they're full of water. Of course, we have this other really interesting organ called the GI tract. And that does real nice when it's filled with water, but maybe less so when it's filled with air. Correct? So that was one of the no thank yous, right? You know, you, I don't care how much money you want to throw at me. I've got better things to do than check out your oxygenated water, right? Let me give you another one, which I've never studied. And if, I, if I'm about to offend anybody, just, just understand this is the science nerd talking, right? And I don't need a show of hands here, right? How many people have heard of five-hour energy? Okay. Now, one of the things that always amuses me, and again, I say this, is my, my Ph.D. is in bioenergetics, biological energy transfer. So, so I, I come with my own sort of tunnel vision, and I am a nerd. I'll be the first to admit it. So I hear five-hour energy, and then it, one of the things they commonly feature in that ad is that there are only four calories. My alarm bells start going off. Because guess what calories are? Energy. Okay. And guess how many calories you expend just sitting here listening to me? Yuck, yuck, yuck. About one calorie per minute. 
So in my mind, the nerd's mind, I think four calories, four minutes of energy. Where do we get the other four hours and 56 minutes from? Okay. Now, again, they have a little bit of caffeine in there and some other things, but it would be a little bit like showing up at the gas station and saying, I, I need 500 miles worth of gas. And they sort of adjust your spark plugs and they clean the wiper blades, other things that sort of help the car, but they actually only put in two ounces of gas and say you've got 500 miles worth of gas. That's not exactly how it works. It's a little bit of a misunderstanding of energy, and I'm always amused. By the way, product's doing great. It's jumping up the shelves like hotcakes. So maybe they know something I don't know. Well, if you're going to follow in your notes, we have the three P's, principles I'm going to share with you over the next several minutes. And the first one is prudence. Prudence. P-R-U-D-E-N-C-E. Prudence. Now, Brent has been talking about wisdom for the last several weeks. Wisdom in the Greek is taken two ways, two different words. The one we're more used to thinking about is the Greek word sophia. So the discipline, the academic discipline or the exercise we call philosophy is a conjunction of one of the four words in the Greek for love, phileo, And Sophia, so it's a love of wisdom, philosophy. Now, Sophia wisdom is contemplative wisdom. It's thinking big things. It's understanding sort of abstract thoughts or first principles or being able to connect the dots. We we might loosely describe it as ivory tower wisdom. Okay? And for a Plato and for an Aristotle, the philosophy or love of wisdom was really... Uh, largely rid around that pursuit of that contemplative wisdom or knowledge. But there's another kind of wisdom in the Greek. The Greek word here is phronesis, and we translate phronesis into a special form of wisdom that over the last 2,300 years has taken its place as one of the four cardinal virtues we get from classical Greek philosophy, and it's called prudence. Prudence is better translated as practical wisdom. So it's not the ivory tower, not the contemplative wisdom, but the wisdom necessary to survive in the trenches. I have a decision to make, not my next academic paper to write. I'm in the midst of doing life. And so prudence or practical wisdom is that doing life kind of wisdom. It's a complement to Sophia. But it's being able to translate that book learning, if you will, into reality. So, for example, the exercise physiologist who had never laced up a pair of Nikes before might have some Sophia. He understands the exercise physiology that he gets from the textbook or that he teaches the students. But he clearly doesn't have the phronesis or the practical wisdom because he's not practicing what he preaches, as a for instance. Make sense? So prudence is a form of wisdom that's enfleshed by the daily bump we get in terms of doing life with brothers and sisters in Christ, and, of course, with the rest of the world. Now, I want to submit to you that that our ability to judge claims made about human health, products, behaviors, etc., really requires a little bit of both. We need that practical wisdom, but we also do have to to be willing to do the homework uh, and get some book knowledge or at least pick up the phone and ask somebody that, that we trust that has got the Sophia piece 
perhaps acquired from years of learning. So we need both forms of wisdom to judge health claims. And we live in a world, of course, where we have information at our fingertips, as long as there's a Wi-Fi hotspot nearby 24-7, right? Uh, And, of course, we know that if it's on the Internet, it must be true, right? There's a great temptation to say, I saw it somewhere, somebody made a claim. Uh, Often we see individuals that have a particular aesthetic appeal that are that are sort of plastered next to product x or y or z and there's a natural inclination to say i wouldn't mind looking like that but we have to take some of that through the filter of both practical and contemplative wisdom to make sure that we're not wasting our time on fads or fashions or trendy tools they're everywhere they're hard to avoid and the old uh, piece of advice caveat emptor or let the buyer beware really applies and a simple rule of thumb is if you don't know ask someone who does and my advice on the someone who does is ask someone who doesn't have a vested interest so going to the website of the manufacturer of product x or y or z would not be the first place to do your your sophia like assessment of the product there ought to be independent evidence about the efficacy of any training routine, any, any sports supplement, any dietary approach. So bear that in mind. We need to be discerning. One exercise in terms of practical wisdom is the ability to be discerning. And so, so as a for instance, as I was uh, sort of surfing the web, looking at what kind of information is out there in this area, I stumbled across a website this week, and I, I'm not interested in naming it up here, but it was in the broad exercise uh, um, and Christianity Venn diagram where they're, they're intentionally pointing out that there's an overlap. So, so this was a personal trainer who was explicit about their faith and, and, and more power to them. It's great stuff. But in just a couple minutes on that website, I found more information about the size of your guns than the amount of time you spend in the Word or what's my witness to other individuals. And those kinds of things make me at least a little bit nervous. I want to submit to you that Christ is far, far more interested in our heart, mind, soul, and spirit than the size of our biceps. And that, that, that should be self-evident. But sometimes, again, we have to wade through what, what's the mission, what are the aims, what's the ethos of a particular product or a particular company. And often we can do so fairly quickly, as it turns out. So be willing to do some homework. And if there's an explicit emphasis that, that's more on me, 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 as opposed to him, 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 then again, I would say proceed with caution. Fair enough? That would apply to any kind of product, coaching techniques, lifting techniques, etc. There's an old rule of thumb my dad used to tell me. You've probably heard it more than once, and that is if it sounds too good to be true. It, it probably is, probably, not always. But have your radar screen on high, Okay. The other thing you have to take with a grain of salt is, is anecdotal evidence. And here I put on my science hat again. Right? So testimonies. Now, again, if the testimony comes not from somebody on a website who you don't know from Adam, but maybe a close friend, somebody who's journeying down a similar path as you, that, that probably carries a little bit more weight with it. But we also have to understand, while we're all fearfully and wonderfully made, we're also differently made. So no matter how good it, product X or Y or Z might have worked for your sister, your brother, your closest friend, it may not bear the same fruit for you. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I spent the last 25 years training my heart out to be just like Lance Armstrong or Greg Lamont. 
ain't happening. I can throw as many passes as Peyton Manning does in his entire life, and I'm never going to start as quarterback for the Denver Broncos. We're differently made, and we have to understand those kind of things. So when we think about testimonials, we think about professional athletes that are, are involved in promoting products, we have to bear in mind that we're talking about different individuals, right? And, of course, as Christians, Christians who exercise the gift and the responsibility of wisdom, we shouldn't be afraid of evidence. In fact, we should expect it. So if there's a claim, well, well, can you show me the research that's involved with this? Can you show me the metabolic pathway into which it fits, etc.? We should be willing to look for that to do a little bit of homework. And I want to give you a couple of reminders that kind of balance this story. These come out of Scripture. Right, and these are both going to uh, be very familiar to you. The first one is in First Timothy four eight. Paul reminds his his uh, trainee, his his favorite young disciple Timothy, that physical training is of some value. Okay, so he doesn't he doesn't it matters. It's part of this integrated whole of what it means to be a healthy, flourishing human being. It's of some value. But godliness has value for all things. It transcends physical activity or diet, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Amen? And, of course, in Matthew 15, 11, when Jesus is, is reminding his disciples about uh, understanding priorities, he says it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth this defiles a person. So when we think about care of the soul, once again, Matthew 15:11 is not licensed to put anything we want in. We have responsibilities for care. But we have to place those things in their proper orientation to soul care and to a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And of course, Matthew 15:11 was uttered in the context of a long history of Jewish dietary laws that were being overturned in this new covenant. So he was speaking to hearers who had a very different sense of dietary expectations than what we have nowadays. Second P, as we move on from prudence or practical wisdom, the second P is the notion of priorities. Okay, Priorities matter. And the first thing on that list, which I've reiterated several times tonight, is that soul care should be a first priority, a right relationship with Jesus Christ, a rightly ordered soul, if you will. And from that, one would hope, but can't always be guaranteed, that the care of the body would follow that rightly ordered soul with a perspective towards health and towards stewardship of this body. Again, we we have not, not in a sense of ownership, but stewardship as a gift from the Lord. Now, we have to be honest with ourselves that aesthetics, how we look, is unavoidable. I'm going to submit to you, and I don't think this is terribly controversial, that we live in a world that is more visual now than it ever has been. We also live in a world in which um, certain cultural mores have been jettisoned. So so things like modesty, as a for instance, are, are no longer held out as something that we ought to be pursuing. So uh, as we do daily life, whether it's on a tablet or a phone or TV or simply driving around town or even walking across campus, 
the absence of modesty represents a, a potential temptation to these priorities. And we don't need to be part of that problem. We should be part of the solution as Christians. So no matter how fearfully and wonderfully you are made, that doesn't mean you have to be obsequious in terms of showing that off, right? The gift of the body, particularly for married couples, is meant to be shared in intimacy, not in public. So selfies, as a for instance. I've got a 15-year-old daughter. And we have to pay attention to what's getting up on Instagram and what she's looking at on Instagram. And we're constantly reminding her about the blessings of modesty, the blessings of, of sort of being a little circumspect. Not everybody needs to know or see or hear, and that certainly applies here as well. Now, aesthetics, again, are, are part of a rightly ordered soul. So Brent, when he opened with his prayer, talked about the good, the true, and the beautiful. And those are the three pillars of classic philosophy. And if we are, we are to be fully enriched Christians, we should have a proper appreciation of those things that are beautiful. That's aesthetics. But I want to submit to you that there's a razor's edge between an appropriate and healthy appreciation of what's beautiful and lust. They're not, a, they're not a mile apart. They're a hair's breadth apart. So we should be able to celebrate. And whether that celebration is of nature whether that's did you hear by the way what happened today as the science geek the, the European Space Agency landed a probe on a comet that was traveling 36,000 miles an hour 330 million miles away from Earth so they flew a probe a quarter of a billion well over a quarter a third of a billion miles away and plopped it down on an object going 36,000 miles an hour I want to see some of the pictures. There might be an aesthetic component to the pictures that come back from that process. That's neat. We live in a great state. That's neat. Michelangelo's statue of David, aesthetically pleasing. Keep that in its proper place is all I'm pleading with you. Aesthetics is an important part. Appreciating the beautiful is an important part of living a fully flourishing human life. We should care what we look like. Thank God I've, I've got a bride that cares what I look like. So I can get out the door and on my way to work in the morning looking at least remotely presentable. Now, I keep teasing her, by the way, and I, I need, I'm going to try to recruit some allies here. So, so I've had this beard for 15 years. I haven't shaved in 15 years. And I keep telling her, and, and of course as times change, I need to use a different metaphor. So 15 years ago it was the, you know, I want to do the ZZ Top routine, right? You know, well, what is it nowadays? It's, it's the Duck Dynasty imitation, right? You know, but she's not going for it. And I said, well, honey, I'm just I'm not going to shave it. And she said, I'm going to cut it in the middle of the night. And, you know, so she doesn't find the big prophetic, biblically grounded beards terribly compelling. <laughs> and I'm not going to fight that battle. I'm happy with what little I have. In fact, I keep telling you that may be the only hair I have after a while, so you better enjoy it, right? So the beautiful, the true, and the good as part of our pursuits as Christians are noble. But all of them, and beauty in particular, have to be placed in its proper orientation. 
because the temptations, the snares that attend those aesthetic pursuits, the pursuits of the visual, are high risk. And we simply need to be aware of that. And I want to submit to you again that while it seems to be dying in the society we find ourselves in, modesty is one of the the greatest virtues in the world. And purity, a compliment to modesty, is a commandment. Uh, It's not an option. We're called to be pure as Christians. So let me remind you about a lesson that, that Peter writes in the first first Peter, in chapter 3, verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty, the gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So again, if we rightly order our orientation there, it's soul care first, not inattention to how we look, not inattention to our health or our nutrition, but a proper orientation, a proper uh, setting of our priorities. Now, those of you, again, that are regularly in the Word might come back to me and say, oh, that's all well and good, but I know that Scripture tells me that my body is a temple. True? Is that all it says? lesson here, again, is, is to make sure we, we take a look at the entire verse. My body's a temple, and I'm honoring God by doing X and Y and Z. Perhaps. The verse in which this comes from, of course, is 1 Corinthians 6.19. Do you not know your body is a temple? Period. That's all that verse says. Right? Uh-uh. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. You are stewards hosting, hosting the Holy Spirit. For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Paul makes a similar argument in 1 Corinthians 3. Do you not know that you're a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. That ought to give us a holy fear about care of the body. We don't want to destroy it. We have a stewardship responsibility. So the obvious question is, how do we glorify God in our body? Any thoughts on that? How do we glorify God in our body? We honor Him first and always. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my lip give glory to your precious name, O Lord. Right? So we honor God first and foremost by making Him first in our lives. We honor God by an appropriate sense of stewardship. Look, if your dad handed you the keys to his classic 66 Corvette, right, and said, take it to the prom, take it to your 20th wedding anniversary, take it where you, but bring it back, are you going to have a, a heightened sense of stewardship about that car making it home that night? Yeah. Well, that pales in comparison to the stewardship, the keys we've been given to this jar of clay that we inhabit from God. We ought to have a much heightened sense of stewardship about managing uh, our bodies carefully. Third P is prayer. Hardly a surprise. What do we pray for? 
We pray for wisdom in both the Sophia form and the phronesis or prudential form. We pray for an understanding of and a willingness to cling to something called moderation. We avoid extremes, right? If one glass of wine is worth a mile, this is a classic temptation, okay? If this particular sports supplement that I take one a day of is supposed to make me bigger, faster, stronger, then why don't I take 20 a day, right? We have to be careful in terms of exercising the gift and the virtue of moderation. We have to pray, and I would say daily, that the Lord continue to remind us about our priorities. As I pursue care of the body, my own stewardship, my health, help me remember priorities. We should constantly be willing to ask ourselves, what are our motives? What is motivating me to pursue X or Y or Z? Is it to lift myself up? Is it to engender a physical strength, a health, a vitality that will allow me to serve the kingdom? Those are two very different things, of course. So we need to make sure we're willing to check our motives, to take those motives to the throne of grace and ask our God to... He does anyway, whether we ask him or not, right? But check my heart, Lord, right? And remind me when I'm I'm, uh, wandering off the narrow path. We have to uh, cultivate the ability to discern and to resist fads because fads pop up very quickly, left and right. And we have to be willing and able uh, to pick those out. We, we need to have, if you'll pardon the pun, we need to have a finely tuned baloney meter. Right? So when P.T. Barnum is hucking his latest product, we're, we're able to say, unlike the, the rushing tide of people saying, let me try that out, that maybe I'm going to sort of back off and, and see whether that makes any sense. Did I go running out and buy the oxygenated water? Could I have probably bought case after case of that, filled my garage up and paid off my student loans a little faster? I suppose I probably could have, right? But the baloney meter was, was sort of pegged, okay? And so we just sort of hung up the phone on that routine. I remind you as a capstone to, to all of Brent, what's Brent shared with you and what I've shared in the last few minutes, that if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And if you ask, it will be given unto you. That's not Mad Hickey talking. That's James 1.5 talking. Okay? So as you encounter challenges, and these may be health challenges, they may be aesthetic challenges. Number one, pursue your own health with a sense of stewardship. Right? Prudence. Priorities and prayer ought to be the the three sort of rungs on the ladder that we climb as we consider working our way towards a particular goal we might have in mind, towards a particular pair of pants that we might have in mind, right? Towards a particular aim. You may have an aim of travel, and right now you're not well equipped to travel, to minister to the gospel. You may have a goal of going and competing in the Boston Marathon, and that's a great thing. Keep it in its proper orientation. Okay? So bear those things in mind. And as always, um, just be, be willing to look across the table 
uh, willing to look amongst fellow members of the body of Christ and, and, and just ask, what do you think about? Have you heard about? Has it worked for you? Who, who should I go ask? Uh, we we are, are all sort of part of this, this family as members of the body of Christ together, and we should be willing to share those experiences and for those that have the expertise, share the expertise as well. Amen? So, what better way to celebrate care of the body than to have a foot race to the back table to get the treats, right? So let me, let me close with a word of prayer if I can. And let me remind you, for those that, that uh, are, are motivated to support, to continue to give to the ministries and through Timberline Church to the many ministries that are supported here, that we, are, we don't pass the plates like we used to, but you'll have an opportunity to give on your way out the door. But I'll look forward to some fellowship, and I would ask you to save me one of those high-calorie things back there. I've been fasting all day in anticipation of this. So spirit, you're not buying it, are you? Okay. <laughs> Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we rejoice in the truth that we have been bought with a price, the precious blood of the spotless lamb, that our rock and our redeemer would pierce the veil between time and eternity, would grab hold of us, would purchase us and give us the inexpressible gift of calling ourselves Christians, disciples of Christ, and brothers and sisters in this great and glorious and diverse body of Christ. And Father, we do, all of us, approach the throne of grace and we cry out for wisdom. Wisdom in all aspects of life. Pray that you might speak unto us, that you might direct our steps, that you might help us to be gracious and winsome witnesses, testifying to your incredible grace and mercy in our own lives. May we always and everywhere, Lord God, be found to be glorifying your precious name. We ask these things above all in the matchless name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So please stay seated for 10 seconds, and I'll, I'll meet you back there. Just kidding. Enjoy. I'll see you in just a few minutes.